The show you love with even more local news and more local reaction. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And a wonderful Tuesday afternoon to you here in California's Central Valley. Mike Douglas with you, your concierge for conversation here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A beautiful Tuesday afternoon here. So let's get rolling. The coffee mug is full and hot and so are the topics. So let's uh, let's get to it. A quick program note. Very excited. Very excited to announce this. Coming up this Thursday, and many of you may recall the wonderful compelling interview we had with Josh uh, Whitfield, our uh, political analyst, election specialist, uh, also a U.S. Army veteran, and he has been away for weeks in the Ukraine area as he is helping with some other uh, veterans do a humanitarian mission. Uh, carrying uh, supplies in food and and clothing, other supplies that are needed, and doing things that uh, are very hard to do, like burying dead children uh, in in the wake of Russia's attacks. Well, Josh Whitfield is uh, back with us here in the States on Thursday, and we're going to do uh, the Mike Douglas Show live from 3 to 5 p.m., from the place that uh, really has supported him as as he's gone to the Ukraine, they are, are a center that serves veterans in our areas, and uh, we'll we'll visit with their CEO. We'll visit with Josh Whitfield and other veterans as well. You aren't invited to come. The location is American Veterans First in Riverbank. It's at sixty four thirty six Oakdale Road. If you're familiar with that, it's on Oakdale Road, just uh, north of uh, north of Patterson, 6436 Oakdale Road. Again, we will be there doing our Mike Douglas show live from 3 to 5 p.m. Look forward to talking to the veterans there. And you are invited to join us as well. They have a wonderful museum that I'm excited to see as well. It's going to be a great time of honoring an organization, a 501c3, a nonprofit, that not only supports veterans, but is doing tremendous work in terms of providing relief uh, to uh, the, the native people of Ukraine under uh, Russia's uh, horrible attacks. So we're looking forward to that again, a live remote from American Veterans First in Riverbank uh, from 3 to 5 p.m. coming up this Thursday. So we'll look forward to that, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to seeing you if you have time uh, to come out and, and visit us. Producer Mike will be there. I think assistant producer Brenda will be there as well, and I'll be there, and I'd love to see you uh, join us there uh, to support American Veterans First and uh, to get some more in-depth information from Josh Whitfield. Well, at the top of most headlines today, New York City subway, a shooting uh, you probably have heard about, the New York Police Department hunting for a suspect, apparently, He showed up in the subway wearing a gas mask and a green construction vest. He shot 10 people in the subway. Uh, They're saying there's still an active shooter situation right now in the city of New York, according to Governor Kathy Hochul. And uh, she was at a press conference this morning. Uh, Apparently, 
and this is amazing. Apparently, according to the New York Times and the New York Post, police sources said that all surveillance cameras were malfunctioning in the subway station during the attack. How is that possible? How, in in this day and age, when security is such an issue, when all our government leaders are in woe about the violence, why in the world would the security cameras be malfunctioning? To me, it would seem that that's something we want to keep on top of. Apparently, I believe they have uh, perhaps some uh, smartphone video from witnesses there. But uh, apparently, the, the and, and then they make this statement. This, this I can't figure out as well. This morning, uh, New York Police Department Commissioner uh, Keechant Sewell said the Brooklyn shooting is not being investigated as an act of terrorism at this time. How do they know? Why do why are our government officials so quick to say it's not terrorism? Gee, on January 6th, it seems like everybody jumped to the conclusion in the mainstream media uh, that that was terrorism, domestic terrorism, which we know it wasn't. But you see, it all it is all about spin. It's all about the narrative. I I just wish that our governmental leaders and the mainstream media would, would just be honest and report what is. How is it possible that they would know or not know it's an act of terrorism? They haven't even identified the guy yet. Now, they have a lead, I guess, on uh, some plates on the vehicle he was driving or a vehicle that's possibly associated with this crime apparently had Arizona plates. But as far as I know, to this point, he has not been arrested. So how do they know it's not a ter- act of terrorism? We're so quick uh, to to make that particular disclaimer. And uh, I, I'm always suspicious when they are so quick to say, oh, that's not terrorism. And yet, when it doesn't, when it fits their narrative, like on January 6th, it automatically is, is terrorism. So I, I'm, I'm bemused by it one way and another way. I'm just highly, uh, highly disappointed in, in the way that these things are, are reported. Uh, thankfully, at least uh, to my knowledge, up to airtime, uh, there are no deaths involved. Uh, there were uh, several people, I think about 10 people, who, uh, who were shot, uh, but uh, none have died at least to this point. So that's good news. We're, we're happy, uh, happy to hear that. Um, Mayor Eric Adams, uh, he's in quarantine, by the way. He's tested positive for COVID-19. He said that someone attempted to terrorize our system. Huh. And then he says, we will not allow New Yorkers to be terrorized, even by a single individual. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was not an act of terrorism. You see the problem here? (laughs) Unbelievable. So the manhunt is underway for the suspect. Again, he shot 10 people, injured six others um, in in New York City. Also, apparently, it's about... uh, Let's see, what's the description? A black male standing five foot five inches, had a gas mask, and this was at the uh, 36th Street station in the borough of Brooklyn. Apparently opened a canister and filled the train with smoke. 
and soon after that, he opened fire. Now, if this was just a crime of passion, if this was just a spur-of-the-moment mental illness reaction, I... It seems like he had a lot of plan here. He had explosive devices, not apparently to blow things up, uh, but to create smoke. And so there appears to be a very involved plan in this particular attack, which leads me to believe that Mayor Eric Adams, maybe he slipped up. Maybe he wasn't supposed to say someone attempted to terrorize our system. We will not allow New Yorkers to be terrorized even by a single individual. Well, there's two two roots uh, or, or two words with the root of terror in them. I, um, I'm thinking that uh, perhaps uh, that, that might be a possibility, but, uh, but we'll see. I'm also uh, always amazed at how government officials immediately come up. We will not allow this. This must stop. Okay, how about doing something about it? What do you think can be done uh, about this? How about enforcing the rule of law? Enforce the rule of law. Carry out the sentences associated with the rule of law. How about deterrence? Like heavy penalties, we're breaking the how about not letting felons violent offenders out early because they get good credits if they have a history of violence uh, they can scam the system it just seems logical to me other factors i believe destruction of the family destruction of the family unit strong families Typically, I don't think, normally have family members who go out with masks and explosive devices to create smoke so they can shoot people up. The report I heard was he had a 9mm Glock with him, at least the, that's uh, an early report. And uh, I think one of the problems that we have also is the absence of father figures in many homes in America. And when, when we break apart the family, it breaks apart the fabric of our nation. It breaks apart the Judeo-Christian worldview that has held our nation together and has allowed us to recognize where we failed and to meet the challenge of overcoming those failures. That's because it's all it all revolves around a... God who is supreme, and the rest of us who are his creation, and the world doesn't revolve around us. We are not the gods of our society, but you see, when you turn that around and we become narcissistic, then it's all about us, isn't it? Then it's all about us, and it's about not accepting responsibility for what we do. And so a lot of factors uh, creep into this. Do you have any you have any add to add to that list? Again, I'm talking about the rule of law, deterrence, the destruction of the family, absence of fathers. Anything you want to add to that that is creating this, this environment where violence is apparently running rampant? I'd love to hear any additions you have to that list. 
And we'll take those in three minutes at 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483, as the Mike Douglas Show continues here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. It's today's conversation for Stockton, Modesto, and beyond. beyond. Now, back to the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Yeah, welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas with you, your concierge for conversation, as we take a look at the headlines of the day, the topics that affect you and me directly here in the Central Valley of California. And of late, we're talking about this uh, shooting in New York City, a subway station in Brooklyn. Guy shows up uh, with a mask, apparently a gas mask, and uh, some canisters that contained at least uh, some uh, smoke-emitting explosives. He lights them off, apparently, or at least one or two, and uh, then proceeds to shoot uh, 10 people in uh, in the subway. And fortunately, at least uh, up to airtime today here, uh, none of those people who were shot um, have died from the injuries. Uh, we are we're very glad to hear that. Again, the suspect still outstanding. Uh, the New York authorities uh, quick to say it was not terrorism, and yet Mayor Eric Adams says someone attempted to terrorize their system. We will not allow New Yorkers to be terrorized even by a single individual. Well, if you're not going to allow New Yorkers to be terrorized even by a single individual, you've already failed. Don't statements like that bother you a little bit? It, it seems like government officials often aren't thinking. Uh, to me, it would be, we're going to do everything possible to track this guy down, to prosecute him to the hilt, to make sure that he's taken out of our society so we cannot harm anyone, and we're going to learn from this and uh, be able to protect you better next time. But the statement, we will not allow New Yorkers to be terrorized, you already did. Isn't that amazing? It it just, I don't know if if these political leaders listen to themselves or not, but it, 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 it's amazing to me, the, the comments that, uh, that they come up with. Uh, We're talking about the, 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 the reasons, uh, societal reasons that contribute to these types of, of tragedies. I talked about the erosion of the rule of law, our inability to provide deterrence, uh, or our, our refusal, really, not inability. We have the ability to provide deterrence, uh, but our, our leaders are refusing to do, to, to do that, by and large. The destruction of the family unit, the absence of fathers in homes, and I'll add to that lack of individual responsibility. Don't you think that's a contributing factor to many of this? Uh, lack of uh, lack of the principle, the truth that choices have consequences. In our in our society today, are, are we not teaching our children that nothing is your fault; it's someone else's fault, and we're going to shield you from the consequences of that? 
that whatever whatever choices you make, they are fine, and we're going to affirm them, and you are not responsible for those. No, another race may be responsible for it. Another uh, religion may be responsible for it. Uh, Conservatives may be responsible for it. But by golly, you're not responsible for your choices. And then we have the tendency to lie about the root causes of a lot of this violence. It is human choice. It is the choice of a human. As evil as it may be, it is human choice versus the tool or the methodology that may be employed by that person making that violent choice. And and, and you see how often the mainstream media and our many of our government officials nuance that. Well, it's the tool's fault. It's the gun's fault. It's society's fault. It's the founding father's fault. It's somebody's fault except the person who perpetrated the act. And I I think this contributes to a lot of um, people prone to violence thinking I'll get away with it. If we have heavy deterrence, at least they have to think about it. Think about the just uh, the, the smash-and-grab thing, uh, the smash-and-grab crimes that we've seen so often over the past couple of months. What deterrent is there for them? None. Hardly. Really? Yes. I mean, if, if it's not 950 bucks worth or whatever it is, why, I'm going to go ahead and take my calculator in there and I'll, I'll steal... Uh, $949.99, and uh, I'll be able to get away with it. You see, it's the erosion of the rule of law. And in our society, when, when we take away the rule of law, we cut out one of the underpinnings of our society. It will fall. If we continue on this road, it will fall. So what does it take? What do you think it takes? 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. What do you think it takes to right this ship, to turn things around? Our government leaders aren't going to do it, by and large. There are, I think as we look around the nation, there are some um, exceptions to that rule, and I'm happy to say we, we tend to see some that are uh, are growing, are, are, are gaining uh, momentum or gaining notoriety for being tough on crime. Well, we can't do that because it's not, it's not, it's not the fault of the perpetrator. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a personal choice. It's a personal choice. And again, that comes back, and, and I know I keep harping on this, it comes back to your worldview. If you have a worldview that says, ultimately, we will be called to account or what we do during our lives, then there's that nagging thought that perhaps we ought to conduct ourselves in righteous ways versus evil ways. But you see, if you don't have a worldview that encompasses a a justice that is perfect, that will eventually be handed out, 
then uh, we can we can descend into the the warm intoxicating waters of our own narcissism and we can just justify whatever we're doing it's absurd it's absurd and then we have uh, anomalies when it comes to allowing people to break the law coming over the border but gee, on January 6th, we're putting a bunch of people in solitary confinement uh, because they trespassed. And you see, and, and that that speaks to an inequitable application of the law. And we're going to talk about that involving a nurse in Tennessee. This, to me, is a, uh, th- this could be a terrible precedent. And I'll talk to you about that in five minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show. And Power Talk 1360 KFIV again back in five minutes. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Local talk is back in the valley with KFIV's Mike Douglas. Weekdays at 3 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon in California's Central Valley. I love Tuesdays partially because after the show at the Douglas Hacienda, it's Taco Tuesday. Uh, I uh, I have my uh, my own recipe for tacos and and my long-suffering wife allows me to uh, take over in that regard on taco tuesday night so I always look forward to that after the show what i really look forward though is to talking to you between 3 and 5 p.m here monday through friday on power talk 1360 kfiv again a quick program note this thursday this thursday we will do a live remote we'll do the mike douglas show live from american veterans first from 3 to 5 p.m at 6436 oakdale road in riverbank that's just north of patterson if you're familiar with the riverbank area and uh, we'll be talking with uh, josh whitfield who has just recently returned from Ukraine, and uh, we're talking to other folks as well who are serving veterans in our area, also talking to veterans as well. We'll have an open mic there. If you want to drop by, look at their wonderful museum, I welcome you to do that. Again, that's coming up this Thursday, 3 to 5 p.m. here on the Mike Douglas Show. And uh, just a a reminder, uh, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, uh, coming up this Sunday, believe it or not, already. For those of you who have a tradition of attending Easter sunrise services, I'll just let you know that I have the privilege of offering the message at the Easter sunrise service at Lakewood Memorial Park in Houston. Uh, this Sunday, uh, the gates open at 6 a.m., and uh, I, I will have to have lots of coffee before then. I am not a morning person. I've got to get those synapses fired up, so I'll have lots of coffee uh, in preparation for being there at 6 in the morning. Uh, gates open at 6. We get underway at uh, 6.30 again, uh, and, and a beautiful setting. It's the amphitheater at Lakewood Memorial Park in uh, on, on Santa Fe in, in Houston. So look forward to that. And again, if uh, you have a tradition of attending Easter Sunrise Services, uh, love to uh, to meet you there. Uh, before we get to this, uh, I think a sobering case about a nurse in Tennessee that has been convicted and is going to do some jail time. 
We're going to explore that together. We really would like to get your take on this case. Before we do that, though, very quickly, uh, and we I was just talking about one of the contributing factors to the destruction of our society, the attempted destruction. I Again, I see the glass half full. I believe if we stand upon what's true and uh, and and we resist uh, what's not true, that we can turn things around. One of the issues that I mentioned is not addressing root causes, spinning things to fit our narrative. Well, this this happened uh, yesterday as uh, the White House anticipated the report that came out today about the inflation rate. Prices were up 8.5% over last year. That is the highest annual rate of inflation since December 1981. And what drove that a lot was fuel, uh, food, and shelter costs. Uh, Excluding, there's something called the core uh, consumer price index, the core, and that is uh, taking food and energy out of the equation. So considering everything, uh, we're at 8.5% inflation over last year. If you take out uh, food and energy for the core CPI, uh, it increased 6.5%, which still isn't, uh, still isn't good. Now, what do you think that's due to? Well, listen to Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, her explanation of this yesterday. So because of the actions we've taken to address uh, Putin, the Putin price hike, we are... Wait, 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 wait a minute. The... The Putin price hike. Uh, no, no, Ms. Saki, this is due to public policy and the actions that have happened from the White House and Congress or lack of action from Congress um, since January of 2021. That, that's what has caused this inflation uh, to a small degree, yes, Russia and the invasion of Ukraine. But to to put the onus totally on Russia to imply that is irresponsible. Let, let me start again. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Ms. Saki. Here we go. So because of the actions we've taken to address uh, Putin, the Putin price hike, we are in a better place than we were last month. Um, but... We expect March CPA, CPI headline inflation to be extraordinarily elevated due to Putin's price hike. And we. Oh, there it is again. Oh, I'm sorry I interrupted her again. Uh, Putin's price hike. No, Nisaki, it is, it is not Putin's price hike. But do you hear her being challenged on that by the mainstream media? You see, that's, that's the problem. We're not dealing in truth. And when we don't deal in truth, we begin to take a spiral that destroys the credibility, destroys the foundation, that it destroys the integrity of our society. Uh, I'm sorry I interrupted the White House press secretary yet again. Uh, my my apologies. Uh, let, let me go back to her. 
expect a large difference between core and headline inflation reflecting the global disruptions in energy and food markets. So core infl inflation doesn't include energy and food prices. Uh, headline inflation does. And of course, we know that core inflation, you know, energy, the impact of energy, of course, on oil prices, gas prices, we expect that to uh, continue to reflect what we've seen uh, the increases be over the course of this invasion. And just as an example, since President Putin's military buildup... There we go again. President Putin. Oh, man, I interrupted her again. Sorry. Accelerated in January. Average gas prices are up more than 80 cents. Most of the increase in, uh, occurred in the month of March, and at times gas prices were more than a dollar above pre-invasion level. So that roughly 25 percent increase in gas prices will drive tomorrow's inflation reading. And certainly it's not a surprise to us, but we certainly think it will be reflected. All right. So did you hear any ownership of the inflation rate? No, I, I in 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 the in my fantasy bubble that I wish we would live in, I would hear Jen Psaki saying we're examining our policies to see what we can do to reduce the inflation rate that 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 is a responsible way of addressing it. You see, but instead, it's it's just like uh, when when we look at the shooter in New York City and say, well, it's gun violence. It's the gun's fault. Uh, it's inflation's fault. It's Putin's fault. It's anybody's fault but ours. No, we take responsibility for our stuff. And I would love to see more of that happening in Sacramento and in Washington, uh, D.C. as well. So there we go. Apparently, the inflation rate, according to the White House, pretty much is... Vladimir Putin's fault. And um, I, you know, as long as we don't deal in truth, as long as we deal in spin, as long as we deal in falsities, we will continue to spiral out of control. And it, it's up to you and me, my friends. It really is. I believe that. It's up to you and me to stand firm and start to call these politicians on, on these issues. And we don't have to rant and rave, but, but we do need to push back and say, no, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, that's not right. And, and how does that happen? Well, in theory, it should happen through the fourth estate, through the media. Do we hear that? Mm, nope. Nope, we don't. I'd like to, uh, now that we've uh, dealt with the inflation rate and uh, the White House's uh, opinion, apparently, that it's Vladimir Putin's fault, let's, uh, let's deal with a, a story that I think has um, potentially terrible consequences. I don't know if you've heard about this or not, but uh, there is a, a nurse in Tennessee named Rodonda Vaught, V-A-U-G-H-T, and on March 25th, she was convicted of two felonies and is facing eight years in prison. I don't believe they've done the sentencing yet for a fatal medication mistake. You see, she worked at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville. Huge complex, by the way. We were just there not too long ago uh, driving by that. She was convicted of the death of Charlene Murphy, a 75-year-old patient. Now, Charlene dry, uh, died from a mix-up in 2017. 
she was prescribed a dose of a sedative, Versed, but the nurse, Vought, accidentally withdrew a very powerful paralyzer. Not sure how you pronounce the name. It's Vercuronium. Vercuronium. Maybe some of you in the medical profession can can correct me on that. But apparently, uh, it was taken from an automated medication dispensing cabinet and administered to the patient. So the, the upshot is that Redonda Vought has been convicted, criminally convicted, of, uh, of the death of this woman and is looking at 10 years, uh, eight years, rather, in prison, possibly. You say, well, you were talking about the rule of law, Mike. Uh, what's wrong with that? Well, I think we need to uh, we need to dig a little bit deeper here and talk about the medical profession. Accidents do happen; sometimes they're fatal. Here's one of the issues that I think may may be a result of this, and that is people are going to quit wanting to go into the nursing profession. They're going to quit wanting to go into the medical profession at all, especially if uh, you're held criminally responsible. What, what do you, let me ask, and we'll go over the details here in a couple of minutes. You may have questions about the timeline and, and the details. I'll try to fill in the blanks, but, uh, at, at first blush, do you think that when there's a mistake by a nurse, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, doctor, someone in the medical profession, when there is a mistake that proves fatal, do you think it's appropriate to criminally charge and convict them? Or should we look at other options? Our number here, 209-551-3483. 209-551-3483. We'll continue the conversation in three minutes. Here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Father, preacher, friend. It's the conversation you've missed. The Mike Douglas Show, weekdays at 3 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Talking about this uh, unusual case, I it may be, and I'll have to do the research on this, I'm not sure, uh, it may be the first time that uh, a nurse is being convicted uh, criminally uh, for the death of a patient and may do some time for that. And I'm not talking about intentionally murdering a patient. Uh, This this was a a case, apparently, of a mistake, and uh, in in that uh, the wrong medication was administered to the patient. That 75-year-old patient, unfortunately, died. So the, the burning question in my mind is, should... Nurses, doctors, physician assistants, and such in the nursing, in the medical profession, should they be protected? Should they have immunity from criminal prosecution? What do you think is appropriate? What do you think would be appropriate in this case? Civil proceedings, I can get behind that. 
Uh, but here, l- let me give you this new wrinkle and see what you think about this. Again, our phone number here, 209-551-3483. Do you think the criminal prosecution is appropriate here? In December of 17, 2017, Charlene Murphy, 75, comes in uh, uh, to uh, Vanderbilt with a subdural hematoma bleeding on her brain. She improves over the next uh, two or three days ago, and uh, she's going to actually, she improves to the point where she's cleared to leave. And uh, she is supposed to be given a sedative versed. But the nurse, Redonda Vaught, mixes things up, and instead of giving her a uh, dose of a sedative versed, she gives a powerful paralyzing medication, uh, which leaves the patient brain dead. And according to records that we know thus far, the nurse admits she said to the hospital staff that she was responsible for the medication uh, error. So later that day, and this is what concerns me, I think Vanderbilt has a, a major a major role in the whole issue here going sideways. Two Vanderbilt neurologists report the woman's death to the Davidson County Medical Examiner, but they don't mention the medication error. Isn't that interesting? They said the death was attributed to bleeding in her brain, deemed it a natural death. So as far as the medical examiner is concerned, they they don't independently investigate the death because nothing was said. So you go uh, almost a year later to Tennessee Department of Health receives an anonymous tip that there was an error in the in the medication. So the Tennessee Department of Health, uh, the director says that this case about the nurse did not constitute a violation of the statutes and or rules governing the profession. And Vought, the nurse, has sent a letter saying this matter did not merit further action. Well, then things turn around and uh, she is publicly identified as the nurse And ultimately, uh, the Tennessee officials reverse what they originally said, and uh, they charge her criminally for uh, for this particular act. In other words, it looks to me like Vanderbilt covered this up, and yet it's the nurse, apparently, that is going to... uh, that is going to suffer the, uh, not only the, the criminal charge, but also have to do the time. Uh, seems to me if, if indeed she said I did it and it was Vanderbilt that failed to act, I I would say above board, apparently they covered it up. I'm, um, I think this may have a chilling effect upon the medical profession. If this becomes a precedent, Let's see what you think. 209-551-3483. Let's find out what Cheryl in Manteca thinks. Cheryl, welcome to the show. What's your take on this? Hi, Michael. Um, You know, I've listened to a few other nurses discuss this. I listen to them on, they do TikTok videos, and they've discussed this at length. Um, the, The nurse herself, she came out 
right from the get-go and said, I made a mistake. So it's not like she tried to hide anything. In my opinion, the, the facility that she worked for is trying to throw her into the bus and put all responsibility on her. If anything, and I believe that she did, she should have lost her license as a nurse. And that should have been it. The rest should have been between the party of the woman who died and the hospital. If they're going to do this and they're going to start prosecuting nurses, it's going to be not good for those in the hospital. You're going to have people waiting longer periods of time to get their pain medication for fear that if they don't do it right, that there's going to be a lawsuit. You're going to have less people that are going to want to go into the nursing field for fear that they're going to get prosecuted. The way that they've handled this is completely wrong. They should have never brought charges up against her for murder. And it should have been dealt between, like I said, the family and the hospital. Yeah, Cheryl, I, I, I tend to agree with your points. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not comfortable with these uh, criminal charges. Cheryl, thanks so much for the call. We appreciate that. I think one of the, the big issues for me, Cheryl, and it's reflected in, in what you said, is that it, it may have, in, in my word here, a chilling effect upon people wanting to go into the medical profession. And if you look at this, it seems to me, if there's any cra- criminal activity, it was the cover-up uh, that was executed by Vanderbilt University. As you said, Cheryl, the, the nurse, uh, Vought, ca- came clean. I made a mistake. And then to prosecute her criminally? I I just don't know. 209-551-3483 is our number. If you'd like to weigh in on this subject, we'll uh, continue to take your calls after the top of the hour when we have news, weather, and traffic. And uh, we'll come back and talk about some border issues as well as the Mike Douglas Show continues on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. show you love with even more local news and more local reaction the mike douglas show now weekdays from three till five on power talk 1360 kfiv and welcome back to the mike douglas show as we head into our number two on uh, the mike douglas show here on power talk 1360 kfiv thank you so much for being part of the mix here we so much value your participation in the discussions as we reasonably rationally and respectfully talk about the issues of the day some of them really tough that affect you and me uh, right even right here in california's central valley again uh, thanks so much for joining us three to five p.m monday through friday here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Uh, we've been talking about this interesting case out of Tennessee where a nurse at Vanderbilt uh, accidentally administered the wrong medication to a 75-year-old patient who had come in with a, a brain bleed. She was set to go home. The nurse gave her the wrong medication, and unfortunately, the 75-year-old woman died. And uh, as it turns out, the, the nurse, as has been reported, 
fessed up to her mistake. However, Vanderbilt did not pass that information on to the medical examiner. It did not come out until later. And the upshot is the nurse has been criminally charged and may face uh, up to about eight years in prison uh, for this. So uh, my question to you is, do you think that's appropriate to charge medical professionals criminally in this type of case? Our phone number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Mike from Manteca, what do you think about this? Well, I uh, I just wanted to call in and kind of share my personal experience because I undergo uh, monthly treatments at Stanford Medical Center. And there's there's some real negligence involved in here if the wrong medication is administered. And... The reason I say that is because the treatments that I undergo, uh, there are a series, you're always assigned a nurse when I go in to get my treatment. And even though I'm conscious during the whole procedure, uh, it's a very redundant system. Uh, the nurses will, will check with each other whenever they're administering any medication or anything that comes along that they're administering to any patients. Uh, and they'll get a check and there's always a it's always a check system they'll scan you you always get a wristband they they you know they ask you to verify because your conscience who you are what your birth date is they scan your wristband they verify with the other nurses what they're administering how long it takes to administer it and whether they're putting it IV or needle or whatever and it's a very redundant system so my thoughts on that are, I, I don't, although I don't necessarily think that it's, that it's criminal, maybe, but the procedures are in place in, in these hospitals where it, it's extreme negligence, if nothing else, you know, on the nurse's part, that something that serious a mistake can be made because she must have not adhere to the procedures even close to the procedures or it couldn't have happened you know and so i i just wanted to share my personal experience with it because even if i'm conscious when i'm getting these treatments it's not it's like i'm not even there it's like a, a well-oiled machine and how they go about making sure that they're administering the right dosage the right person at the right time and and all that kind of stuff so i just wanted to share my personal experience with that and 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 kind of just you know pointed out that it, it is extreme negligence at best whether it's criminal or not i you know i i don't know the laws with regards to that but certainly the hospital should have known that extreme negligence is is, is taking part here you know Mike, uh, great, great point. Uh, thanks for the call. Very much appreciate that. And, and Mike, I've shared uh, some of your experiences. I won't go into detail, but uh, I've um, had to be at UCSF uh, Medical Center off and on for a while. And uh, I, I can tell you the same thing, Mike, and, and it, 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 I just underscore what you said. It's amazing to me to watch when a procedure is about to uh, unfold or when medication is going to be given, you're right. Uh, there's a witness and, and another nurse that double checks. And they, they ask, you get tired of saying, you know, what's your birth date? Uh, what's your name? Uh, but that's good. 
And I'm wondering, Mike, and, and you bring this question to my mind, and I don't know, uh, if the required procedures in Tennessee are different from the required procedures in California. That could be. I don't know. Uh, but I, I do agree with you. It seems like, in, in my experience as well, Mike, and I, I agree with you, it, it would be hard to administer the wrong medication given the double-checking. You used the word redundant, which is the accurate term. The redundant systems that are used, they they cross-check and cross-check and double-check. And uh, the, even though you may get one nurse, another nurse comes in to do the witnessing and to verify, yeah, this is the right stuff, uh, the right medication, whatever it might be. Mike, good point. And I'm wondering if this is a, a difference, perhaps, between uh, the the rules, uh, the regulations, the protocols in Tennessee versus California. I don't know. Uh, but if it were in California, I would be hard put to understand how this uh, how this really happened. Our phone number here, 209-551-3483. Let's go back to the phones. And Kathleen from Oakdale. Kathleen, uh, what's, what's your take on this story? Well, hi, Mike. Um, I think it's kind of the other way around that uh, people, if the authorities said what was going on, that uh, people would be afraid of going to um, the hospitals and being a patient. And uh, because what is common practice amongst nurses who are addicted to the medications that they are supposed to be giving to their patients, the common practice amongst those nurses with that substance Abuse or substance use disorder, which that's what it's supposed to be called in California now, is substance use disorder. So, uh, what's common practice amongst them is to do the medical mistake and then to pocket the medication uh, that they were supposed to give and for their addiction and give it the medication that that medical mistake uh, by not giving the patient the medication that they're supposed to be giving to the patient, they instead uh, give it to themselves. And and so one one of your uh, points, very interesting, is, and, and we've been talking about the effect, uh, the chilling effect upon the industry, upon the profession. You're saying there may be a chilling effect upon patients uh, being afraid to... Uh, uh, being afraid to enter the medical system for fear of a mistake. that That's interesting. How pervasive is it, do you think, in California that medical professionals are, are pocketing uh, medication and, and doing a, a switcheroo? How, how prevalent do you think that is? Well, uh, I hardly... Uh, I know a few nurses, and like all the nurses that I know of, they've all have a bit, had addictions, and uh, and that's how uh, they got addicted is by uh, is by uh, not giving the medication to their patient, withholding medication from a patient is how is how they uh, got addicted. I don't know of any of their patients that died, uh, but um, uh, so I I'm. Uh, I just uh, think that uh, going to anything from the American Medical Association is a bad idea. Uh, receiving any goods or services from them, they are—they uh, don't offer it a good science to begin with, and then uh, their nurses uh, uh, are all, uh, you know, have 
substance use disorders, and they're allowed to continue in nursing, and they, and they have all kinds of programs to help nurses continue in their profession, even though they have admitted to a substance use disorder and well, the uh, wrongful withholding of uh, patients' medications. Okay, so, so Ka- Kathleen, be- I, I got your uh, got your point. Making a pretty uh, broad stroke uh, um, indictment of nurses there, and uh, I I have to respect your opinion, Kathleen. I always do that. Uh, I, w- I would say in my experience, I don't know any, and, and I'm married to one, I don't know any nurses that are addicted uh, to medications, but uh, again, you, you do, and, and I can see why you would draw those uh, conclusions. A- interesting point. All right, let's go back to the phones, area code 209-551-3483, and uh, let's go down the road a piece to Modesto. Uh, Lee from Modesto, what are your thoughts? Yeah, hi, Mike. Well, I mean, I don't know anything about this case at all, so there's my disclaimer. But eight years in prison, I mean, <laughs> with all the people getting out on, on murder and, and all kinds of aggressive crimes that are intentional, I mean, you know, if something comes up that there's some intentionality in this. But eight years, uh, that seems a little excessive to me. I I agree, and again, I, I come back to, Lee, what, what about Vanderbilt? If, if all the reporting is correct, and, I, and of course I'll, I'll, I'll give that caveat, if all the reporting I'm seeing is correct, it sounds like Vanderbilt covered it up. Uh, how come Vanderbilt isn't being charged, <laughs> officials there? Uh, oh, yeah, so absolutely. I'm, I, I, you know, the, the punishment should fit the crime, Lee, and I'm... I'm not thinking this is it. I think that's an issue. The other yeah. issue is I, I think it could have a very chilling effect upon, if this becomes precedent, it could uh, have a chilling effect yep. upon the uh, profession as well. Lee, thanks for the call. We really appreciate that. Appreciate you sharing your thoughts thanks. with us. We'll continue the conversation in three minutes at 209-551-3483. Don't go away. We'll be back to the phones in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360. KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. It's today's conversation for Stockton, Modesto, and beyond. Now, back to the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back on this Tuesday afternoon to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The conversation right now centering around uh, this, this nurse, Radonda Vaught in uh, Tennessee, who has been criminally charged and convicted of... Uh, of negligence uh, in in terms of administering the wrong medication to a patient who died as a result of it. And uh, she is facing a possibility of eight years in prison because of that. Uh, I will add that the news reports are nurses are already resigning. Even as this uh, news broke, when I think this uh, decision was handed down on March 25th, so it hasn't been that long ago, nurses are already resigning from their uh, profession uh, 
uh, because of the precedent that they see, fearing that if they make a mistake, they may go to jail for it. And this is, uh, again, part of that chilling effect. Uh, Some interesting conversations about that. Kathleen brought up the point that, yes, there are nurses uh, and other medical professionals that do... um, that do pocket the medication, or they don't give the patient uh, the full dose, and uh, they become addicted. That is a reality. I don't know what the statistics are as far as how broad-based that is, but that is an issue. Kathleen also bringing up uh, that uh, maybe the patients are going to be afraid to go uh, to medical facilities now. Uh, So some interesting conversation around this. We're going to go back to the phones. What do you think? Is criminal prosecution appropriate here, or do you think they should have looked at another remedy for this? uh, It was a fatal mistake made by this nurse. 209-551-3483, our number 209-551-3483. Eight three. Let's go to Marcy from Modesto. Marcy, what are, what's your thoughts about this? Hi. Um, so I actually work in a pharmacy within a hospital, and I do investigations on diversion of uh, controlled substances. But I also um, know that yes, there are there are nurses who do pocket things. There are other providers that do you know, divert controlled substances. But the reason I wanted wanted to call in was because patients have the right to know what any medical professional is giving them. So before you're injected, before they hand you a pill that they have in the little little cup, you have the right to see what it is. You can ask them to get another one. um, And so they can see the packaging and know exactly what you're being given. And I don't think enough patients know that. And it's a very um, key safety measure that any patient can take so that they know what they're getting. Great point, Marcy. And and since you're involved in the industry, uh, what what is your personal take on this? Is do you think a criminal charge is appropriate here, or should they have looked at other measures, civil or at least as as far as the licensing is concerned? What what do you think about the criminal charge here? So the criminal charge, I believe, um, is quite severe. You know, this nurse could have been suspended or lost her license. Um, and the the hospital should really be responsible for their own employees. And so and I think they bear a bit of the responsibility however um you know going back to in history you remember dr kevorkian yes he he intentionally killed uh a lot of patients so under some circumstances i think that they there um should be criminality and involved but in this circumstance i don't know i don't know all the details so i can't say but it's unprecedented Marcy, how, and and Mike uh, called a couple of minutes ago, talked about his personal experience. I've had some personal experience as well. It seems to me there is a lot of redundancy built in the system. I've had, you know, a nurse come in with medication, another one comes in, and they look at it, they verify it's what it's uh, supposed to be and such. 
in in California, I, and I don't know, Marcy, if if the rules, so to speak, the protocols are different in Tennessee or not. I don't know that, but at least in California, isn't it somewhat difficult to administer the wrong medication given all those checks and balances? So those checks and balances are mostly in place before uh, some kind of a procedure like um, a surgery or a colonoscopy or something like that. Those checks and balances are there for routine meds. Give her patients every day in the hospital. There's not as many checks and balances. Mm. However, this sounded like it was a procedure and any nurse would know the difference between a sedative and a paralytic and uh thacuronium is definitely something that's going to paralyze the patient where they won't be able to breathe anymore and they, they don't get the oxygen they need and they just die what is that normally used for do you know um so when you when you are put in uh under in surgery they breathe for you Got and it. they paralyze you so you're not like grabbing instruments grabbing things Got but it, that... um, not all procedures are um, necessitate a paralytic. Some procedures, like a colonoscopy, they'll just do um, conscious sedation or something like that. Right, right. Very, very good, Mar- Marcy. Thank you for calling. You, you've been just a uh, a source of great information and uh, and one that is involved in the industry, and and so we really appreciate that you you've helped us understand this issue uh, a, a little bit better what what do you think very quickly we've got about a minute left what do you think this uh decision to prosecute this nurse and and the potential of eight years in in prison what do you think that will do to uh, your uh, to the industry of of nursing i think um you know, anybody who works in health care has the potential to make a mistake because we're human. Unless they're robots doing health care, anybody can make a mistake. And so it's really discouraging um, reporting of any kind of a thing if there's such severe consequences, I believe. Great um, point. And so, you know, when people report that they've made a mistake, it helps us improve our processes. Yes. And that fear of reporting is going to discourage that. And I, I don't think that's a good idea. Marcy, great call. Thank you so much for being a listener and for chiming in today. Really appreciate that. Marcy from Modesto uh, giving us uh, some expertise as she works in uh, a medical facility and uh, gave us some some interesting things to think about there. Uh, I like uh, that last point about reporting. If we make people feel afraid about admitting a mistake, I, I think the industry is doomed in whatever industry it is. There, there ought to be some immunity for being up front and saying, yep, I messed up. And uh, to, to have the consequence of being criminally prosecuted and, and have to do maybe up to eight years in prison, I don't know, maybe a lot of nurses will be saying, forget it, I'm out of here. And that's sad to see. We'll see what happens. I want to talk to you about uh, our border and some issues with the Haitians there coming up in uh, five minutes on the Mike Douglas Show.
The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Local Talk is back in the Valley with KFIV's Mike Douglas. Weekdays at 3 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Just a reminder, this Thursday we'll be doing the Mike Douglas Show live from American Veterans First, their headquarters in Riverbank at 6436 Oakdale Road. That's 6436 Oakdale Road. If you're familiar with the area in Riverbank, it's just above, uh, just north of Patterson. And we will be talking to Josh Whitfield, who has spent several weeks, uh, multiple weeks, in Ukraine on humanitarian efforts that have been helped uh, in their coordination by American Veterans First. So we'll have a time of talking with veterans there, with Josh Whitfield, with the uh, founder, uh, Duke, of uh, American Veterans First. And you were invited to come as well if you'd like to between 3 and 5 p.m. Again, we'll be doing the show live. We'll have a live mic there and you can check out their museum. I have not been there yet to see it. I'm looking forward to that when we're there this coming Thursday. And also a reminder uh, on Sunday, if, uh, if you have a tradition of attending Easter Sunrise Services. I'll be delivering the message uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning at Lakewood Memorial Park in Houston uh, for the Easter Sunrise Service there coming uh, this Sunday. All right, uh, so the border, uh, seeing a lot of illegal crossings in the San Diego sector. Border Patrol says it's seeing a rise in illegal border crossings. Uh, They say they're seeing an average of 450 illegal crossings a day, both by land and water, compared to an average of 150 crossings a day before uh, the pandemic. And uh, they say the Border Patrol noted between October 21 and March of this year, more than 2,000 unaccompanied children attempted to cross the border. 2,000 unaccompanied children. Good night. Uh, By the way, under Title 42, uh, which uh, may expire in May, again, some debate about that, children and families were not expelled under Title 42. By the way, the public health rule that's used to uh, speed up uh, deportations. But there's a wrinkle to this. And uh, apparently, although the Biden administration has said it's going to take in, what, about 100,000 refugees from Ukraine, uh, it, it there are some groups that are saying, wait a minute, there appears to be a double standard here. There's an immigration attorney and uh, also the executive director of Border Angels named Dulce Garcia. And Dulce Garcia says asylum seekers from Ukraine are able to have their claims heard in the U.S. while Latin and Haitian migrants have been forced to wait in Mexico for two years while Title 42 has been enforced. That's interesting. Let's listen uh, to uh, Dulce Garcia. We don't have answers for these migrants, except that the United States has consistently preferred a certain type of migrant over others. And and so they're, they're saying, wait a minute, how about we treat everyone the same? 
and certainly there's an emotional, um, I, I would say, attachment to Ukraine. But again, if we have the rule of law, it ought to be applied the same way across all cultures, uh, across all refugees, across all those wishing to immigrate to, uh, immigrate to the United States. And so there's um, another uh, comment here uh, from uh, Gerline Joseph, executive director of the Haitian Bridge Alliance. And uh, Gerline says this double standard is more apparent with the enforcement of Title 42. Let's, uh, let's get this take. We see clearly the welcoming with dignity of people of European descent versus what we are witnessing from uh, brown and and black people at the U.S.-Mexico border. Joseph also says the video of President Biden holding a Ukrainian girl in Poland some time ago and telling her he wanted to take her home is an example of a double standard. We still have little black girls, little brown girls and boys at the president's doorstep, and he's pushing them back, and he's literally deporting them. Gerlene Joseph, uh, again, executive director of the Haitian Bridge Alliance, saying that everyone that's seeking asylum ought to be treated equally. All people in need of protection should be afforded that protection, no matter where they are from. So what do you think? Is this an issue? Should those wishing to seek asylum, immigrating from Ukraine, should they be given priority over Haitian, over Latin American immigrants? What do you think? 209-551-3483-209-551-3483. And, of course, this whole issue of removing Title 42 is uh, that that uh, provision is is becoming somewhat of a sticky wicket for a lot of politicians on both sides of the aisle now, because once you lift that, uh, it it opens the doors wide open. And again, as as we have seen with the Biden administration, they're really proponents of an open border. And uh, we're, they're getting ready for an onslaught of thousands and thousands and thousands of folks coming over the border. And, and so the point of, um, of these folks uh, who are saying, gee, we ought to apply the law equally, no matter who it is that is, uh, that is coming in. So their point is, you're giving preference to Ukrainians, but what about Haitians? They're, they're fleeing persecution. What about those from South America, Central and South America, who may be uh, fleeing persecution as well? Should not they receive uh, the same uh, treatment that the Ukrainians are? Uh, and this comes back to something we talked about earlier in the program, and that is the rule of law. If we're going to have the rule of law, we cannot employ what's called selective enforcement. When we get into the rut and the practice of selective enforcement, eventually we get stung by it. 
And throughout my law enforcement career early on in, in my um, oh, 20s and uh, just about into my early, early 30s, that, that was drilled into us. You, you cannot have selective enforcement. Now, there, there are areas in the enforcement of the law when you enforce, you look at the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. And law enforcement has some um, some room to make that judgment. Let me let me bring that just to a very simple example, if I can. I I think it's one that that brings it down to its simplicity. Let's say it's three o'clock in the morning in a residential area, and a police officer observes someone doing a rolling stop through a stop sign going home after finishing a, a, a night shift, they're very tired. Officer pulls them over. Well, do you give them a ticket? Do you give them a warning? Well, according to the spirit of the law, you're looking around, there was no traffic, nobody else around at 3 o'clock in the morning. It was a rolling stop. And so perhaps you decide to give them a warning. Uh, if they were upfront about the fact they rolled through the stop, they slowed down, but they didn't stop. And so you have that latitude to say, well, I'm, I'm going to give you a warning versus a, a citation, but uh, please be careful and please do not run stop signs. Dangerous. All right, now let's flip that 12 hours to 3 o'clock in the afternoon everybody's coming home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in that residential area. They're all coming home, uh, perhaps maybe a little bit early at 3 o'clock after, uh, after work, perhaps. And there's a lot of traffic. There are maybe uh, two cars apiece stopped at that four-way stop sign, and uh, the, the same guy in the same car rolls that stop sign. There we have a very dangerous proposition because there are people stacked up at the other three stop signs. And so, therefore, it's a, it's a different animal of sorts. And here the spirit of the law would dictate the officer probably will give that person a citation saying, this, this is the middle of rush hour, and uh, you, you did something that's very dangerous on its own, but considering the traffic pattern here uh, was even more dangerous. All right, so the point being that there are some areas where the spirit of the law and the letter of the law come into uh, conflict, so to speak, and judgment calls can be made. However, does this apply to Ukrainians, and Haitians, and Latin Americans. What do you think? Area code 209-551-3483. Should it just be across the board, or across the border, enforcement of the law and preference not given to those who are refugees from Ukraine and, and the violence that's happening there? There's bad stuff happening in Haiti. There's bad stuff happening in South America. Tough call? What do you think? How would, how would if you were the head of uh, the Border Patrol or uh, Customs, how would you advise the president? What, what would you advise the president in terms of policy? You have Ukrainians coming, Haitians coming, uh, people from Latin America coming, South America coming. Would you give preference one over the other?
209-551-3483 is our number. Area code 209-551-3483. We'll continue the discussion in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Father, preacher, friend, it's the conversation you've missed. The Mike Douglas Show, weekdays at 3 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. We've been talking about uh, the border situation and how uh, there are some advocates down there saying that Haitians and South Americans, for example, are being treated differently than Ukrainians. Uh, we had someone that just uh, called, talked to our assistant producer, Brenda, saying that uh, their opinion was that Ukrainians are coming to save their lives and hopefully go back, while uh, Mexicans and Haitians are coming for a better life. Uh, that that could be. Um, I don't know that Ukrainians would return to Ukraine, especially if, if Russia is uh, is still posing a threat and or takes over. But any, it's an interesting thought uh, to think about anyway. Again, if you'd like to weigh in on this, uh, what do you think? Should Ukrainians be treated any differently than Haitians or those coming over the border from Mexico, Central America, South America? 209-551-3483. I also want to talk to you about an Another internationally uh, horrible situation, it sounds like. And this is in Shanghai, uh, China. Apparently, Shanghai, uh, 26 million residents in Shanghai. Apparently, the residents have, have been on lockdown now for quite some time. And they're rationing vegetables and and food. And apparently people are scrambling for food. Uh, grocery cells are empty. Uh, government provisions are lacking. Uh, there's extreme, there are extreme lockdown conditions. Censorship is going on, so journalists can't easily uh, report from there. So a lot of Shanghai residents apparently have turned to social media uh, to make their opinions known. In fact, a video that was posted to the Chinese social media platform Weibo showed a drone flying through a Shanghai neighborhood broadcasting to residents uh, to remain in their homes. Now, there was another video that was posted on Friday that appears to show Shanghai residents in a a residential area screaming from their apartment building, uh, building windows. Now, this is apparently what's going on. It hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been verified. It was brought to uh, the fore by Patrick Madrid, who's a Roman Catholic TV radio host, last Friday. And here's, a, let me just give you a couple seconds of what that video, uh, what that video sounded like.
if it's correct, if it's legit, uh, those are cries from people in the Shanghai area uh, crying for help on an extreme lockdown. Uh, Very, very interesting. Again, we've been talking about uh, asylum, uh, immigration, the equitable application of the law. What do you think? Uh, The point by some advocates on the border saying, hey, we think that Haitians and Mexicans and those from South America, Central America, should be given the same priority as Ukrainian uh, folks coming to the United States. What do you think? 209-551-3483. Let's go to Modesto and Mark. What do you think? Yeah, Mike, hi. Uh, my understanding of the uh, laws of asylum are if you're leaving country A and you travel through B, C, and D to get to E, any one of those other countries, B, C, or D, should award you asylum and you should seek asylum there, the next nearest free country, in other words. You can't just hopscotch around the globe and pick one. Good. Okay, so as we apply that to the Ukrainians and the Haitians and, for well, example, there's, South there's, Americans. There's all of West. There's nothing against Ukrainians. Obviously, I don't uh, don't know any, but uh, there's all of Western Europe they can seek asylum mm. in. There's all mm. of, uh, you know, North Africa or the Middle East. Take that down to just locally. You know, you're looking at Colombia, Honduras. They have to come through Mexico. Mexico, President Trump told Mexico, you guys should be awarding them asylum. And so they did, a lot of people. Right. But um, you can't just kind of hop around the globe and pick. It's the next nearest country where you can be afforded your freedom. Interesting. uh, Interesting point, Mark. Very good point. Uh, appreciate your call today. Thanks so much for calling in. Mark making the point that uh, generally when it comes to asylum, you should uh, go to the next available country. And so the question is, uh, is this policy to give Ukrainians perhaps uh, a better opportunity or a, uh, a, a room ahead of Haitians and, uh, well, especially those coming right over our border from Mexico. Is that, is that equitable? Uh, interesting point. Mark, great, uh, great call. Great point. Thank you very much for that. By the way, uh, another uh, statistic here that's, that's very interesting. Apparently, nearly two-thirds of Ukrainian children, that's 64% of Ukrainian children, have fled their homes in the six weeks since Russia invaded That's according to the U.N. uh, Children's Agency. Uh, The U.N. has verified the deaths of 142 youngsters in Ukraine. On Thursday, we'll be talking with Josh Whitfield again as as we go live on a remote broadcast from American uh, Veterans First in Riverbank. And we'll uh, talk to him about that, what he saw. Uh, I know that Josh uh, had to bury uh, some of the children that they're talking about uh, who died. And it's, it's, I'm not simplifying this. It, it's, a, it's a complex thing in terms of public policy, but we need to keep, uh, need to keep working through it. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, just a reminder that Trevor Carey is coming up next at 5 o'clock. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Mike Douglas Show. I will look forward to uh, joining you again tomorrow at 3 o'clock, right here, 3 to 5 p.m. on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Have a great night. 